Hello and welcome to another episode of A Wee Bit of Everything with your hosts, Lewis Cleland and Clark Burrow. If you've been tuning into the podcast each week and you've been enjoying it, we'd be really grateful if you could give us a wee share or a retweet on Twitter or even follow us on Instagram um, at Burrow underscore Mr or at Cleland Lewis 94 because this helps us get the podcast out there even more so it can reach more people and have a, a, a bit of a bigger impact on, on the community. So... That would be absolutely smashing if you could take a couple of minutes out of your, your day to give us a wee review or if you see it on social media, give us a wee share. We're always grateful. So, who have we got on, on the podcast for us tonight, Mr Burrow? Well, it's two, two weeks off, so um, we've got the pre-podcast nerves are setting in again. So, but we're, we're looking forward to welcoming Gary Hay, who is a, a player and coach development officer with the, with the SFA. Um. For those of you who are listening and don't know that what that is, that's the Scottish Football Association, so they're in charge of um, the coaching side of things and the playing side of things. So Gary works in the southwest region, um, covers that area. And um, for those of you who are interested in football, might know that Gary is a Scottish former professional footballer. He played in over 300 games in the Premier League for Kilmarnock. Uh, so... That maybe goes to show why he's, he's working in the southwest region. He's probably got a lot of contacts down in Kilmarnock area. Uh, Gary won the Scottish League Cup in 2012 against Celtic and also made his debut in the opening day of the 1999-2000 season against Rangers. Gary also represented Scotland B team in 2005 where he was capped against Poland at Rugby Park in a 2-0 win. So... We're looking forward to getting this podcast up and running. Um, as I said, it's been the first one for a couple of weeks, so we're looking forward to speaking to Gary about the School of Football. Um, that's what he's on to speak to us about tonight and how it, how it can disengage, sorry, re-engage, Oof. disengage pupils. And, uh, Just what you need. I know, that, but I don't need any more of that. <laughs> a minute. But, so, uh, we're looking forward to getting him on and having a chat about football because we're, you know, we're, we're right in our football, aren't we, Liz? Absolutely. Right, Gary, welcome to A Wee Bit of Everything. Thanks for your time tonight. How's things been? Uh, yeah, very well, thanks. Um, just kind of keeping as busy as I possibly can um, during this sort of strange nine months that we've had. Um, so I'm still, still working away and, um, you know, family life and everything is, is okay. So, yeah, all good. That's good to know. That's good to know. Well, we'll dive right into the first question then. Um could you give us and the listeners a little bit about yourself um, and more background information on your career to date as a player and then maybe as a as, a, as your current role just now as a player coach and development manager? Uh, sure. Um, as, a, as a footballer, I, I spent the, the vast majority of my career at Kilmarnock uh, um, FC, um, my hometown team, um, team that I supported as a, as a young person as well and obviously still do. Um, began sort of full-time professional career in 1999. Um, stayed at the club until around 2013 it was. Um, and then went to Airdrie and played maybe four or five games. And then I then moved on to my role at the Scottish FA um, in September 2013, I think that was roughly. Yeah. And I've been doing this, the job I'm currently in now, the, the player and coach development manager for the last seven years at the Scottish FA. Brilliant. So uh, as a player then, what was your kind of favourite memories? 
Eh, lots of great memories and just the whole the whole time of being doing a job that you know doing a job that you love. Um, I mm-hmm. think you know if people can get through life and find something that they really love doing and make a job out of it, then, you know, you're onto a winner there. Um, yep. And that's basically, that was a great highlight for me that whole time. Specific highlights, you know, we won eventually, I was in three League Cup finals for, for Kelly and eventually we won we won a medal um, in 2012 when we beat Celtic in the final at Hamden. Um, so that's obviously a really special memory, but there's others as well. I made my debut actually at Ibrox in 1999. Um, so again, they're all kind of special things that you, that you remember and you know they get straight into the memory, memory bank and you don't hopefully not forget them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so some lovely times and met a lot of great people as well and made lots of friends for life. So that's always nice. Fantastic. So uh, as a making your debut at Ibrox, that must have been a good team you come up against then in 1999 from the Advocate. Yes, I I think it must have been advocate then. Um, I they were a good team. Um, over that sort of spell, I don't remember exactly who played that day. I remember I was playing against Claudia Arena. I was up against him, um, and then that era you had obviously Barry Ferguson would be in the mm-hmm. team. Then who was a superb player, uh, Van Bronckhurst, who I thought yeah. was brilliant. Job who was it, Who was the toughest player you came up against? Eh. Uh, there's quite a few. There's many a player that's given me a roasting, to be fair. I played <laughs> back for most of my career, so had a few roastings at Ibrox and Parkhead and, and many other grounds right across Scotland yeah. in the month. Um, but I, I mean, you know, the guys who just mentioned there, some fantastic players, you know, for, for the other side of the city, you think of like Nakamura mm-hmm. and Aidan McGeady was a, a real, real handful as well because he, yeah. he was so two-footed. You know, he was mm-hmm. comfortable going into his left and or going down to his right. Um, so I was, you know, guys that didn't directly play against Henry Larson, but being on the same pitch as him, you know, and how cute and smart he was as well. Um, mm-hmm. So some really, really tough opponents over the years, that's for sure. Did you ever play against Old Firm when it was kind of final day of the season when they were going to win a title? Unfortunately, Clark, yes, I did. Um, I played, played a couple of those occasions. I remember we played Celtic at home. Um, I think it was the day they had to score more goals than Rangers. Rangers oh, was it that one? Firmly. By one goal? I think, by, I, think. Um, I think Celtic beat us 4-0, I think, that day. And I think the Rangers won 5-1 or something and, and picked them to the league. Um, so that was one. We played Celtic another time. I don't think it was the last game of the season, but it was a time where if they beat us, I think they would they would win in the league. And I'm sure that was a time Nakamura maybe scored a free kick kind of oh, later yeah, on yeah. and they won the game. Strike a ball, couldn't he? Oh. Unbelievable. Wizard. A wizard. A wand of a left foot. Um, and then we played Rangers at the time at Rugby Park. Again, uh, they basically just had to have a better result in Celtic. And they were 3-0 up against us after about 10 minutes. You can imagine before the game, you're saying, you know, right, Rangers are going to come at us, guys, you know, we need to be ready for it, you know, make sure we're, we're not going to get pushed over today. Um, we know what they're going for, but we've got our own personal pride, and that's what we were playing for. And they just come out of traps flying, and the game was gone within yeah. 10 minutes, you know, and obviously it was, a, it was a big party for them. So, um, 
they're no nice memories because you don't, you don't. I wasn't caring who won the league, whether it was Rangers or Celtic. It didn't make a difference to me, kind of thing. But you don't like teams coming in your own doorstep and doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been over the course of the season, of course it is. But um, you want to be a wee bit of the party poopers if you can. Mm-hmm. Aye, definitely. What was it? What was the most difficult out of the two old farm stadiums to play in? Then did you feel? Uh, again, both very similar. Aye, uh, uh, very similar. I wouldn't intimidating is no the word because you never really ever felt intimidated. You were excited by yeah. the atmosphere. To get you, does it like get you going big time? I when you're in a, aye, an atmosphere aye, like that. Because again, it was one of the ones you knew if you weren't at it, then yeah. you were going to a hiding. Um, yeah. The quality of players that they do have can really hurt you. Um, so no, they were both really difficult. Probably had more success at Ibrox over mm-hmm. the years. Well, definitely. Um, I didn't. I'd never won a game at Parkhead. Might I get the odd draw? I can't remember, but never. I'd never won a game at Parkhead. And the time we did win, um, myself and another colleague, James Fowler, who'd played for Kelly for a number of years, both of us were injured, and the boys won two 0 that night um, <laughs> against Celtic at Parkhead. So we weren't even involved. So we were de- definitely a curse. Um, whereas, do you, you manage to get back in the team? Uh, I eventually. <laughs> um, <laughs> But then Ibrox managed to win a few times. They actually played in a game we won 3 0. Again, mm-hmm. I think maybe it was actually Advocate was the manager. Rangers were in a crisis by their standards. I think they'd lost the league game the weekend before and then they lost a sort of a big European game during the week. And then we were playing them the weekend again. So you could actually you could see a nervousness about their players that mm-hmm. day. We ended up just getting a couple of wee breaks and winning the game 3 0. Um so, I mean, nice memory from, from that time then as well, obviously. Because yeah, you're I probably mean, expecting a backlash from them. Considering I, you're always kind of half expecting that because they don't generally lose two games in a row. No. You know, yeah. either, either of those teams because they are so consistent. But, um, you know, we, we got a result that day, so that was it was a nice three points for us. Yeah, I'm sure you've had some great memories um, across the years that you were playing, but the Scottish League Cup final must have been one of the best. You talk us through that day. Aye, um, an amazing day to be fair. Um, lovely day, just you know, for, for obviously from personally as well. It's important you're you're trying to win things for yourself, but you know to do it. Front you, know, my family was there as well. My wee boy, my wife was there. My wee boy was there, and he was he was three actually. Um, he actually just had chicken pox, but he'd, he was out the stage of anybody catching it off him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was a wee bit under the weather. Um, so to have them there and brothers and you know everybody else and everything, that was that was pretty special to be fair. Um, it was tinged with sadness at the end because I'm not sure if you know, but one of the players, Liam Kelly's father, um, at the final whistle actually took a heart attack and and died and waited. So that's sad. Um, so Liam Kelly, for him, it's well, it's ultimately bittersweet. Uh, as you can imagine and you know for the rest of us it, we felt that as well for sure after it we didn't know about it until um, maybe about half an hour you know after it had kind of taken place at the final whistle and you know actually I get taken away to go and get a drugs test so I didn't see I didn't go really back in the dressing room I met up with the with the boss basically when it was back in Kelly because um, mm-hmm. I had to wait and get the drugs test all done um, so I it was that was that was a tough time. Um, it was, you know, obviously the game was beautiful and the result was 
was what we dreamed of. Yeah. And um, but it was tinged with that sadness. But I've got to say, Celtic were excellent after that as well. Or, you know, obviously Neil Lennon attended the funeral along with Peter Lowell and another representative for Celtic. And you know, they sent Liam and his mother flowers, and you know, and kept in touch kind of thing. So that's a good, nice touch. Yeah, it was. It was excellent. So you know, it's sad, but you know, it was a ultimately it was it was a great day to be a player of Kelly and you know a fan on that day. Brilliant. Right. Well, you're on today to talk to us about the talk to us about the school of football, um, and obviously you're really involved in that with your role at the with the SFA. Um, so I suppose could you tell us and the listeners then in a bit more depth about the school of football program and what it entails within the school context? Um, the school football programme, as you can imagine, is about uh, incorporating um, football lessons, if you want to call it that, within a school environment. Um, it's been running now, ooh, it's running now well over, uh, must be well over 10 years since its inception. And um, it's been running in many schools across Scotland. Short story, you know, we try and use football as a vehicle to try and engage with young pupils. And it could be young pupils who are already engaged in school really well, but it's also to maybe capture some pupils who don't really engage that well with the, with the academic side of school. Um, we try and use football as a vehicle to get them into school, perhaps displaying good behaviour right across the school if they possibly can and using the football on the pitch practices that I'm sure is, is physical education teachers, you understand the power of sport in general and what it can actually instill in young people in regards to the life skill, the transferable life skills that, that we get from sport. And, and for us, it's football, you know, the, the discipline that you get, um, understanding the value of effort and what it, you can achieve by that, putting that effort in and, building confidence and, you know, listening skills and concentration skills that, you know, if you go out on a football pitch and the coach asks you to do something, can you take that in? Can you try your best to go and do it? And now, when you're talking about that, can you transfer this across to perhaps other some of your other subjects that you're doing at school, like your maths and your English, you know, key core subjects that can help you succeed in life? Um, so that that's how we kind of see the, the school of football helping those sort of life skills, as well as obviously helping the physical benefits and the mental benefits that, that fitness and football can give you. Yeah, certainly in my school, uh, we've obviously got the S1 and S2 boys and girls set up. Um, mm-hmm. Pamela Gillespie set up the girls' side of it before I came in and then I set up the boys' side of it. Mm-hmm. But I, I find that a lot of the, the pupils who are, have, are causing problems across the school behaviour-wise they actually work really well in the school of football. So uh-huh. sometimes it comes as a shock to me to hear like, their behaviour across the school. So I try and use that as a, if you can do it here, then you should be able to do it elsewhere. Yeah, yeah I think. Aye. Sometimes it's, it's the carrot and the stick, isn't it? Aye. But, you know, to try and engage them and, you know, um, make sure that the arc is as important, that they're applying themselves as best as they can across all their subjects. And then if they can do that, then they're trying to be the best person that they can be and will hopefully go and achieve good things in the future if they can do that and have that maturity. But that's a it's challenge. It's always a challenge. Has it grown hugely since like it's kinda since it was established? Like how yeah, long it it ten years has. ago? 
Yeah, definitely has. You know, ten years ago, um, or so. I think I'm trying. Obviously, my experience is I've been in the Scottish FA now for seven years. So when mm-hmm. I came in to my role in the southwest region, um, which sort of covers the Ayrshires, Dumfries and Galloway, um, and South Lanarkshire, um, we had I think we had about six schools of football running at that point. Um, at the peak, just sort of kind of last year or so, year before, we had we up at nine or ten schools of football running in different forms. Just um, in the southwest region? Just in the southwest yeah. region. And then, I mean, I think of my last, I'm sure the last time I spoke to my colleague in the Edinburgh area, there was there was even more than that up there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, football is our national sport. It's the yeah, most popular sure. sport in Scotland by far. So it's, it's a fantastic tool. To try and engage with the young mm. people that yeah. we have are living in, you know, are attending our schools kind of thing. So it's it really has grown, to be fair. Um the challenges yeah. this year has been sort of COVID yeah. and the restrictions that that's putting us as an association and also on the schools themselves and you know, being able to incorporate that uh, the schools of football um, as they were before. Mm. And that's like Saying that about the kind of disengaged pupils in the school, I have a an SC class and we teach the it's like a pre-national course, so it's an SC prepares them for the National Five course, and then we teach it through volleyball, hockey, badminton, and basketball. They're the four key sports, the four games that they do it through. And then obviously at the start with with COVID, we're only allowed to do outdoor volleyball. And obviously the weather and everything like that was a bit of a nightmare. So the balls were blown everywhere and the rain. And if you if you couldn't do that, then you were kind of snookered for the rest of the activities because you weren't allowed indoor. Yeah. Um, but I started doing like a wee a football block with them, so like a sport education unit where they were leading and planning their own sessions and stuff. And mm-hmm. I honestly, see if you had to ask me at the start if I thought they were capable of doing that, of like planning and delivering their own sessions to to their group, I, I don't think I would have. Um, accepted that but see like 99% of that class love football or play with a football team and then as soon as you got it them hooked on that with something that they loved it was amazing like how much I could literally just take a step back and just watch them just like they just knew what they were doing like they've done all the practices like they do that at football training it was just great to see and it I gives you a wee bit of, a wee bit of hope actually that, they, that they've, they've got it in there to to um, turn it on when they want or when it's something that they actually enjoy doing so why not give them it yeah absolutely and I think it probably goes back to what I said at the start about being lucky enough to do a job that you love doing so yeah. again for, for many young boys and young girls now which is great is that you know football is that thing for them and, and to be mm-hmm. fair I see other things I see um, school of dance for instance Aye, there's loads in there school, schools of basketball and uh-huh. obviously schools of rugby have been going so you know, it is the power of sport and I, you know dance, etc. It can be, and that's how you can perhaps engage with some pupils. And I don't, I'm not an educationalist by any stretch, but you know, I've been in the school environment often, and I hear, particularly, I'm involved and in, I've got a lot of PE departments, and I hear a lot of PE teachers talking about that. You know, the preparation and all these other things. So if they can learn these things with the sport that they love doing or the yeah. hobby that they love doing then hopefully they can then when you li- can start to say from perhaps a bit of volleyball or whatever yeah. they, they get it understand it better which, that, uh, the learning kind of it's just a kind of byproduct of it isn't it 
Like it's almost like they don't really know that they're they're learning it because they love playing the sport. Uh huh. Aye, and it's to be fair, the challenge about those young people, and even I see it now. We get a lot of footballers. Even I was on doing my, my B license, perhaps, and I know Clark, you're doing your A license right now. And you know, if you've had the opportunity to be on a pitch, you'll see boys or women who are actually still playing professional football, perhaps doing their, their B license or their A license. And I was that same person as well, where I was still playing. And my first step, step into coaching was going doing my B license, and it was a huge step for me, and it was really daunting and really difficult. But because it was something I knew, that's what I was doing. I was doing showing drills or practices that I had been taught as a as a player, and that was where my learning came from. So it's um, as as definitely a key part of it. What was the transition like then from going as a player to, to doing obviously a coaching? But what did you what did you find was the most difficult thing then? You said it was really difficult. What did you struggle with most making that transition? Uh, planning, organisation and being adaptable. Mm-hmm. Um, Just like thinking on the spot hate, kind of thing? Aye, aye. I hate, still hate getting <laughs> put on the spot to be honest, but I hate being <laughs> put on the spot. Um, when we were a player... Even it doesn't matter what level a player you're at, whether you're you know your grassroots amateur, junior, professional. Generally, you just turn up and put your boots on, take a swig of your juice or your water, and you go on the pitch and you say, right, what we're doing to do, coach, and the coach says, right, I want you to pass the ball for A to B to C, right, and then right, we're going into a game now, and you just play the game as you would, as you would play the game, and you don't think about anything else. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're the coach. And you're the person that's in charge of, right, what size of area am I going to need? What age, what age and stage of the players that I'm dealing with? How do I cope with, I've got 10-year-old kids, but their mixed ability. I've got a 10-year-old who's never kicked a ball before, but I've got a 10-year-old who's the next Lionel Messi. Mm-hmm. And I have to design a session for that whole group. What am I going to do? How, what size of area do I use? How much equipment am I going to need? You've planned your session for maybe 10 players and 14 or 13 turn up. And you think, oh, no, I've not got enough footballs for them. So it's all those things that I was really panicky about at the start of my coaching journey. Um, and as you know, I'm sure, you, again, PE teachers, adaptability is, in my experience, is PE teacher's middle name. Is especially, in, especially in the current times that we're in. Absolutely. <laughs> out of volleyball, Mm-hmm. <laughs> Aye. Again, I'm in a, a PE department uh, quite often now, down based within Air Academy, and um, you know I see the, the PE teachers having these conversations all the time about we can take them outside, but it needs to be non-contact, right? What we're we going to do to get some, you know, heart rate into the to the kids, and mm-hmm. how do you deal with pupils who are not bringing their kit in with them, and you know how do you deal with this pupil? You know, it's all these different other things or adaptabilities. You know, just so so important being able to, to think in your feet and probably having a, a bank of practices Aye. and go to exercises that you can always turn to, knowing that you know they'll they'll fit the bill. Yeah, definitely. I mean, talking about the coaching side of it there, that when I worked I worked with Scobride last year um, with the reserves, and there's so much goes in it. I was a coach, and then the boy I was working with, Rudy, was Rudy McKenna. Aye. Yep. He was his manager, so. Mm-hmm. Just constantly back and forth the full week and doesn't stop. You're planning and then evaluating the sessions and then looking at videos for the games. It's just so it's all in the, it's all in the clock, really, isn't it? Ah, yeah, you try to work with a team like that. 
you hear, you hear again, no matter what level, you know, guys will respect kind of lower level, but then you you know you speak to a, a manager who's dealing at professional level, and it's just uh, it's relentless. It's just constant, never off their phone. Mm-hmm. You know whether that's like sometimes if you've got committees, for example, at amateur level, you maybe having to deal with a committee as a manager. Yeah, they, I know, I know. They, you know why is he not playing, or you know why is he not been at training this week and he's playing on a Saturday? You know just all these. Crazy things. You I think you're just going into coach, didn't you? And that's it. No, it's just no. Nah, you <laughs> Never is. Anyway, it doesn't work like that. No. It's like PE teaching, isn't it? You're, nah, exactly. You're PE teaching. No, you're no. You're, you're mm-hmm. everything. You're a social care worker. You're, <laughs> you know, you're a confidant. You know, you're everything. Yeah. And that's what it's like, sure. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing more, more rewarding, though, when you stand back at the side of the game and it's all going well. But there's also nothing mo- nothing worse as well when <laughs> you're getting pumped 5 0. I've been in that situation more than I've been the other one. I've got to say, but... <laughs> hey, Gary, so from your experience and we introduced the school of football into high schools, what can I, what are the main successes that it's had towards engaging disengaged pupils? Have you got any like ones off the top of your head that you can? I, I do, to be fair. Um, probably one that really sticks in my head is. Again, just before I started um, at one of the schools, when I came into the school, I was delivering a, a school in, in the southwest region. And maybe a couple of years before I came in, there had been a pupil at P7 level. So the kind of process that we would go through for the school of football in a, in a standard school would maybe be um, at P7, we'd go around to the local primary schools with a, a letter and a wee brochure to advertise when you come to this big school then we run a school of football program we're looking for young people who think they would have a love of taking part in football etc etc and want to be part of the program the kids would then come for the selection process depending on how many numbers you got then you would probably then need to try and whittle that down we would use teacher reports to help whittle that down as well um, so I do remember my colleague that was in the post previous to me saying, I such and such told me, I'm obviously not naming names because it's not fair, but such and such as he didn't get in the programme in P7 actually. So we're talking about this boy. It was a boy, he was now, he was fourth year at this point. So he's, he didn't get into the school of football programme in P7 because he's, his teacher at the time gave him a really bad teacher report. Um, and sometimes that's not. Sometimes that's actually a thing that gets them into the program because you think, I think I can help that person by yeah. changing their behaviour. But mm. that's, time, that's kind of what it's about, isn't it? Aye, but at the time, the the, the kind of PE staff kind of knew him a little bit as well at the, the academy it was going to because they had sort of transition days, etc., and they felt he didn't deserve it mm-hmm. because his behaviour hadn't been great either. So what happened was he, he joined the school. He got told that he wasn't going to be part of the school of football, but he was then told that the school were going to monitor him at first year level for the first three months of his school to see how he settled in and see what his behaviour was like across the school. Now, by all accounts, his behaviour then started to improve as he got there. Um, So after those three months, he was then invited in for a trial at the school of football and basically he then stayed in the school of football for... I think, until the end of second year at least. Um, long story short, he then came back. By the time he got to fourth and fifth year, he'd really matured, became a, a good young person. I think 
undoubtedly the school of football helped instill the sort of the discipline and you know all these other things that you require. And he came back and he actually did a wee bit of volunteering within the programme when he was a, a senior pupil. And then he left school and then actually kind of got to know him after that. And then eventually actually ended up in being the school of football coach um, for a couple oh, yeah. of years at that school. So we things like that, you think, you know, and I think it has report at that age and you think, you know, it's, it's a kind of fork in the road time. So now yeah. he is actually, um, I think he's on his probation a year as a PE teacher. Amazing. So again, That's given my pathway. He was his saviour at school, you know. Uh -huh. I think, again, I think he knuckled down at the rest of these subjects eventually, but, you know, because obviously to get to where he is now, he would have to have, um, you know, a good bit of education behind him. Um, so it's, for me, that's that's a brilliant story. You know, Especially. It's, it's, a, it's, a full, it's a full circle. Yeah. You know, brilliant. I can see him again, growing. You see the growth. It's amazing. Aye. And that's... Again, so when we're then talking to some of the pupils that maybe misbehaving sometimes within a school of football session or they're behaving else, misbehaving elsewhere, then we would, you know, this person would say, look, I've been in your, I've been in your shoes. I was mm -hmm. that wee person that was misbehaving in mass or whatever I says, but, you know, you've got to knuckle down and, you know, focus and et cetera, et cetera. So it's... Could probably it's relate to that better as well, rather than a, a teacher telling no, them that. Much more, I mean, much more powerful, aye, isn't it, coming for people? Aye, aye, it's really good. Um, so, I mean, there's ones like that, and, you know, there's there's other ones as well. I don't know if you're going to ask can I, any other questions, and that can I hope. So, aye, go, fine on. There's, there's kind of one or two others, and just try we've, we've had pupils, again, that whole engagement of school, Recently, there was a pupil who, a P7 sort of age group, kind of in between foster care and home life. Um, again, I'm trying try to divulge too much personal information, um, but really kind of troubled background. So at P7, attendance levels were down between 30 and 40%, um, really low. Obviously, the impact on them, this person's learning then because they're not at school. Um, it was really tough. Um, and again, it wasn't a case of this person, the person didn't even come to the, the school of football trials that we held, held. It was more a case of a conversation with myself and the school. See, the school knew this person loved football, thought they could cope within that environment as well because there was there was a group of players that were, you know, fairly talented as well, but says that this person will cope um, and would like that person to be part of the school of football as long as they are kind of meeting the standards that we're asking of this person. So again, it was like wearing their school uniform, attending the school, you know, and not just picking and choosing when they come. School of football was done over four days, so pupils expected to be at school all day, every day. Um, and again, I think by the end of second year, first year was a good success. By the end of second year, the pupils' um, attendance figures was way up about 89% at that point. So you're thinking, you know, from the 30, 40, P7 to now, we up nearly 90%. It was fantastic. And, there had been a lot of antisocial behaviour outside the school as well from this person. Again, that had waned. So again, from a from a police and government point of view, that's exactly what they see School of Football and other programmes doing is that, you know, taking these young people away from crime, etc. Mm -hmm. um, potentially, and that's where this 
that path kind of led for this young person. Um, and don't get it wrong, there's still still a journey for that person now. They'll be they're not out of the wood yet. They're not out of the school age yet either. So, um, but the school of football for me has has definitely helped that person. Um, you know, attend school and, and mm. do better. It gives them a purpose almost, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Sometimes, sometimes it can be enough for them to come into school, knowing that they've got the school of football that day, and then uh-huh. they need to make sure they go to their other classes as well to stay in it. Yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely, and it's it's difficult. Sometimes it can be difficult for perhaps other teachers to to understand that, and I can appreciate that because if I was an art teacher and I've got an absolute rogue in my class that's that's misbehaving and they feel it's in a privileged position of being given the school of football, then, you know, it, it might annoy you sometimes, but I think, you know, most teachers are supportive of it and they realise it, it can it can be the thing that engages, you know, a, a young person. It's no, it's no a fi- well fix at all, but it definitely helps for sure. Yeah, I think for me as well, like, as long as your school of football coach or teachers proactive in trying to improve the behaviour across the school and they see that you're trying, then you're doing your best because then if you take them out of the school of football, then surely the behaviour will get worse in art mm-hmm. rather than better. So sometimes that can be the only thing that's kind of keeping keep the behaviour as best as possible. But there may, may not be angels in the class, but um, I'm sure it would be better if they're in the school of football, if they love yeah. football, rather than taking yeah. them out and that's going to even upset them even more. Yeah. It's very hard because, I, I mean, I've heard, again, physical education PE teachers talking about, like, I think this example you said earlier, back about a person who's maybe misbehaving in another class and you're thinking, is that the same person that comes to the PE department? And, know, know. You know, as a young person, that I wasn't um, overly academic. Um, PE was what got me through school. I loved going down to the PE and taking part in any sport that was on that the see. teacher gives. We had a, we had a, um, our Mr. Turner, was uh, massively into basketball. I think he was actually the Scottish basketball coach as well for a number of years. So he loved giving us basketball and actually quite enjoyed it and get really into it and ended up playing with the school team for, for about three years, um, up until third year. And then it was one of those ones that I had to kind of, I was training more for football, so I couldn't commit to so much to the basketball, so I had to make a choice. But I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, it was fantastic. It was through through him and the other PE teachers that were there that really engaged with me. And, you know, just sport was my thing. And I didn't misbehave overly in the other classes in my maths and my English, but I probably didn't push myself as much as what I should have. And if I was to go back now as a mature person, then I would definitely have worked harder at my other subjects. But I don't tell my son that. But hindsight, it's a wonderful thing. Ah, exactly. But I think as well with the school of football, because they get out of two other classes, then that's also something that can can engage them if they know that they're getting out of other classes from a pupil's perspective. And yeah, it can be. Aye, and for them, for a lot of them, it's just I just want to go and play football. That's all I'm bothered about. And there's different models for you know for the model. It could be taken out of classes that you're in. Mm-hmm. Other schools that have run. You know, depending on what their school day is, particularly S1, they have a kind of sort of an elective, so pupils can pick a sort of football as a subject to S1, and that kind of frees up maybe three or four periods that week for them to then get it, or mm. it can be sometimes it's an after-school session even, so either there's 
there's there's lots of different models and, and again that from our point of view of the Scottish FA that's what we realised I think initially with the programme it was it was really strict and it had to be five periods a week and it had to be within that school day so that it felt like a total subject for the children um, but we've probably realised over the years that you know we have to try and create the best model for each school individually um, which school is best is is DC fit as well um, so it's you know that's just part of what you're trying to do what have kind of been the main challenges then for schools where if they've been kind of looking to set this up? I suppose that kind of leads us on nicely to that bit then you were saying all the different models that I guess is trying to suit each school's needs. I the challenge um, quite often is money, isn't it? You know, sometimes, um, again, back at the very start, the, when the, the schools of football were put in place, they were fully funded by um, the cash back from communities. Um, and but because of almost the success, you have more schools, what then the money only goes so far. Um, we've now moved into a sort of new model and a, a new contract with cash back for communities in the government, and um, where their the aim is to try and target, um, you know areas in really uh, low SIMD areas um, to try and help raise that attainment levels in those areas, et cetera, et cetera. So essentially it's probably sometimes it's just the funding. Um, other times it, it could be the funding's there, but perhaps they don't have the expertise in that area to, to go and run it successfully. Um, you know, you guys are fortunate, called aside, we've got, experience of Clark there from, from the football inside of things, you know, fully, if you want Scottish FA qualified coach there that can go and help deliver sessions, etc., and take control of that. Um, other times we try and identify local clubs, local, um, you know, it could be professional clubs or really strong community clubs, or it could be local leisure trusts as well who employ staff many of them kind of football based um so it's trying to marry all these things up to get that you know, a good partnership working um mm -hmm. and all the schools that i've been involved in, in the southwest and a key part of it as well is is the the pe department um pe department and then probably someone from senior management who understands it you know the benefits of it and also buys into it mm -hmm. um because to be honest if i deputy head or a head teacher or a head of PE doesn't buy into it, then, you know, you're struggling. So it's really important that the, the people in these places, you know, understand and understand the value of sport the, yeah. to, to these pupils. Um, so they're the kind of main challenges, I would say. What um, do you think, like, I know you said uh, there's kind of different models of delivering it, and what do you think is the best way to deliver a school of football? Do you think it's best delivered by PE teachers or coaches that kind of come out, or do you think mix of both? Or if you've got the expertise, do you think go for it? Is there, any, school, if, is there any schools of football where it's not other teachers that would teach it, like besides like a PE teacher? That, is that a ridiculous yeah. question, or...? No, it's not a ridiculous question to be fair. It's another subject, I, know, isn't it? I do know that um, down in uh, Ayrshire, one of the schools, the School of Rugby is delivered by the head of, what is, it can't be the head of math, he's a math teacher. Right. He's also a, a, a rugby, coach. rugby coach. Yeah. 
So again, that's been worked out that, that he can go and deliver all the school of rugby because mm-hmm. he's the best person to go and do that. Right. Is that after um, school? Or does he do that within no, the curriculum? No, he does it within. Obviously, three up periods, the same way they do with, with PE staff who go and deliver it. Um, so I again, that works out brilliant for them. So again, initially we probably say I you should bring an external partner in, an external coach in because they can have a sort of different relationship with maybe some of the pupils that a sort of teacher pupil relationship can be and blah 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 but then I think again it's evolved and we have many models where it's led by mainly PE staff because they generally are the ones that are with a qualified sports background that's required to kind of go and deal with the, the pupils um, in regards to being able to um, challenge the pupils depending on their age and stage and their ability levels and to have an understanding of that so again it, we're so open-minded about it now if schools want to have PE staff leading with it or other staff or they want to have a mixture of both with external partners coming in and or us coming in etc then we're always we're always just happy to sit down and talk and try and evolve it as best as we can it, Again, ultimately suits the school and suits aye, the people that are involved. Yeah, aye, that's um, aye, that's good. It's obviously you need that flexibility, don't you? Because it's not just a kind of one size fits all for. No, it definitely doesn't. For everybody, it definitely so. doesn't. Yeah, it's even the same with the curriculum. Like every every school teaches it differently, so it's similar, isn't it? It's the exact same it's, thing. It's like a football coach. Like you know, we the three of us could all be given a session. There's a there's a dribbling session. Go and deliver it, and even though it's written down in a sheet of paper, and it's you must do this, this, and this, we would all probably teach it slightly differently, mm-hmm. um, either in a different manner, or we would make adaptations to it that would change it. Um, and that's that's just the way it is. So I would say that's what it's like for, for the school of football program now. Mm-hmm. I think for us at Calderside, it's been good for the PE teachers to take it for the reporting side of it as well, and obviously knowing the kids really well. But the external, we linked to a mother, mother, mother in the community. Can you say that there? <laughs> um, and uh, they came in, and with the three of the S2 girls going along to Mother's uh, Youth Academy now, and, and then the, the girls' football. Yeah. The result of them coming in, they, they came in once a month. Um, yeah, that's great. Which, which was really good. Um, and they asked, asked the girls to, to go along to a trial. Yeah. And able to then. Uh, ah, it's great. It's good. The, obviously that contact with Shirley as well, you know, yep. that's important to us that we keep that connection. And again, initially we went into to Calder side. Again, schools of football when they began, they've always been generic, but as you can imagine, it probably attracts more boys than girls, particularly when they then mix together. Um, and again, when we were refocusing on our goals and what we wanted to do with the school of football, we felt it would be a great area to try and target female participation, to try and increase the numbers of young girls taking part. And, you know, they don't need to be playing for a club, but if we could have them part of a school group where they were were doing football um, as much as they can during the week, then perhaps that's what we could do, as as Clark suggested, about, you know, signposting them to to local grassroots clubs or, you know, know, like Motherwell or Hamilton, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's brilliant. That's exactly... What we're trying to do for the for the female side is grow grow the numbers of the young females that are in the game and we felt school of football was a was a good way to do that. Yeah, so we tried we tried to link with a local club Hamilton, but 
won't get into details of that, but uh, didn't mm-hmm. didn't kind of work. But we managed to um, get in touch with my own. It's we've had a good partnership with them, and obviously the work mm-hmm. that you you do as well. And Shirley has been really supportive with the equipment side, uh, equipment side of things as well, and yeah. helping us develop that way. Uh, yeah. But we've actually got a girl, yeah, one girl stuff developed as well to to get on with that as well. Yeah, is yeah. that the classroom stuff? Ah, there's some, there's some good stuff there that's um, hopefully we can get Aye, good. on when, when things settle down a little bit. Covid. But uh, we've, we've got an S1 girl that's in with the boys this year because she plays with our youth academy team and our um, parents would want, were wondering if she could come with the boys uh, mm-hmm. to get that challenge, if the you challenge? like. No, so we, we decided that would be the best for her development and it's working really well. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, again, we've had that. We've had, you know, originally lots of girls in the generic program, and lots of some fantastic young females um, come through that program with the mm-hmm. generic program as well, which is great. It's, um, and that's just, as you say, just challenging them appropriately, um, giving them the best you can. Comes back to that adaptability, doesn't it? Sort of suit the needs. Aye. So then. Gary, then within your work um, in football with your job with SFA in the South West region, have you seen any really successful football community interventions? Uh, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, is like, interventions, probably see the ones I kind of spoke about earlier on, like I think of the pupil who was, you know, sort of in between foster care and home life, etc. I think, you know, that's it's obviously happened in the, the southwest region, but that's happened in, in every region. Um, when I speak to all of my colleagues, then um, you know they tell me similar stories as well. Um, that's ha- happening right across the board. Um, when I think from a kind of local community point of view, and the kind of positive things that the local clubs are doing. So if I think of like the area called aside, and, and you get Blantyre Soccer Academy mm. there, you know, a huge club that's I think I think they've got over a thousand footballs or something. That oh, it's massive various various sessions that they're doing. Um, so there's there's lots of great stuff getting done in the, the communities that probably are providing those interventions as you want to call them. Um, but it, it's probably ones I kind of said earlier on um, about you know redirecting young people away from maybe the bad path to the good path and there has been examples of that for sure um, and that again it's it's just about communities talking to each other and having links between local clubs and, and local schools etc mm. um, and that's it has been happening for sure over the over the years and have you been involved in any community programs like street league and stuff like that no that's been quite successful for maybe when they leave school is that part of your role no uh, not directly, but there has been occasions where we've kind of had um, did a wee bit of coach education, perhaps for um, some from street league attendees, um, yeah. and kind of again down in my sort of area, I know a couple of coaches that are, are helping with that. Um, so we've had that sort of connection with them for sure. Um, Good. Probably what we do have is I also run a what's called a Volunteer Inspire project, a programme, um, and that's sort of targeting young people between the ages of 16 to 24 um, and trying to help them on 
whatever journey they're on. And generally, again, it's probably more football, sports people that are being targeted. So, sort of got a partnership with kind of local um, college in Ayrshire. Do you and, just take take sessions? I uh, so well, no. We'll put I'll put them through coach education courses. Right, okay. I'll put them through some other types of workshops where we feel it may benefit them. You know, like kind of target setting and, and leadership workshops. Um, try and give them volunteering opportunities within the community. So yep. again, when I think of our partnership with Ayrshire College, um, I actually was delivering that, an online. Zoom course to, to a group of students today um, and the majority of those students actually volunteer within uh, football programmes that are being delivered um, so they're, they're involved in there's Kamarnock in the community who offer you know after school sessions etc there is um, the Rose Riley Centre um, for young females to come and just play recreational football there's the Chris Boyd Academy it's down in Ayrshire as well. So all these students that I'm working with are sort of involved with that. Um, I think I said to you at the very start as well, Clark, you, you know, when we've been having more discussions via emails, etc., that um, we'll be looking to try and do something with kind of senior pupils within our schools as well. And obviously, mm-hmm. Colgate Side will be one of those schools that will try and target senior pupils to maybe do some coach education with them. So then, in turn, maybe they'll come down and help with maybe mm-hmm. some school of football. That's what we, we've been looking for something to at our school in particular to do with the seniors, like for some national progression awards, so they mm-hmm. can do like, like sport and recreation. But there's nothing with like football, the SFA, is there for for okay. that age group? So for sixteen year olds, did you say there? Aye, for like the senior for school. Senior school, aye. So sixteen year olds. So well, obviously we'll talk after, and I'll I'll, I'll put you in touch so you're Kakodi so that'll be the east won't it so I'll yeah. put you in touch with my colleague in the east and you can drop him an email and yeah. ask him um, but there may be opportunity there for a wee bit of coach education for some mm-hmm. senior pupils um, or to become part of a VIP programme as well um, mm-hmm. you know that's that's something that can be perhaps done um, I do. we were talking I about that um, at one of our meetings like earlier on I think it was last week actually about like different things that the senior pupils can do because obviously they're not on like full time tables some of them and uh-huh. um, or for when they come down to PE actually like if they're not doing the higher course um, to give them another option so that they're, they're in mm-hmm. PE you know so mm-hmm. you'll be able to get work tomorrow and show that you're on the ball there you go <laughs> <laughs> it would be I mean, in an ideal world, obviously, coach educational, it's all basically online now. Um, so, again, in time, we're hoping that that will ease a wee bit and we'll get back to doing things on the pitch. And I always feel um, I've delivered both. I've delivered to sort of 16 and 20-year-olds online and I've also done it face-to-face mm-hmm. and they're taking part in it, et cetera, et cetera. And I think I always find that, They'll probably engage a wee bit more with the face-to-face practical stuff that you can oh, do. Definitely, maybe maybe a better opportunity for them to learn. Um, but it's that old word again of being a, being adaptable. So that's why we've been doing a lot of things online. Um, with our, our volunteer inspired students. And I, th- and I, th- and I, th- I think if we move back to face-to-face, I think your touch will still be alright, Gary. Take part. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> been a while. We still have it. I'm sure. Been a while. Hey, well. That kind of leads us nicely into our, our final question of the, the main part of the interview, Gary. So, 
with each podcast, we can aim for the listeners and ourselves to take something actionable away from each episode. So for the people listening who have maybe pondered on the idea of starting a school of football in their school, what steps could they take to make this happen? Uh, first, apologies need to obviously know what area they're in. Um, in the Scottish FA, we are sort of split up into kind of six regions. So as I said, I cover the southwest. We've got the west, um, which is sort of Glasgow area and um, sort of under Clyde. Um, you've got uh, southeast, you've got the east, um, and you've got the north as well. Um, so they're all kind of split into different areas. So again, if you were, for instance, Lewis, if you were in school in, in the east then you would be probably getting in touch with the local Scottish FAA office um, mm-hmm. for the east region um, and I can give you details of that and um, for those who are maybe listening to this or watching this online then probably just going into the, the Scottish FAA website um, and look to see you know what region they're in and maybe just contact in that local office and just get a touch and base with the local yeah. office just to inquire and then yeah. You know, somebody from that local office would get in touch with the school and, and see what options they can help with. Um, mm-hmm. So that's probably your first step um, before you get into anything around how much does it cost, yeah. what does it cost, um, you know, what do we need to do, what can Scottish FA provide, etc, etc. So it's... How long does it take to, like, implement into a school, like, from... Say I wanted to, to start it in my school for talking sake. How long would it take before it would actually be? Does it have to be at the start of, so it wouldn't be till next August? Aye, I think, again, well, certainly this, with everything that's going on this year, that's, that would be a, a, um, a reasonable target, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, target the Prime Minister. Again, from that initial chat, it could be things like the Clark will know, like, you know, it then becomes perhaps getting the word out to P7s, the local cluster primaries for that academy school to yeah. say, you know, we're, we're having a, we're going to have school of, a school of football selections. Um, if you want to be involved, they're going to take place at this point. Um, again, because of everything that COVID, we probably we didn't get to do that with a lot of this year's groups. It, it then became um, when they were in school. So you could imagine how the timetable and trying to sort that out for, right. for the for the timetable is like, I mean much a headache that can be. So that's yeah. why we generally try and sort it out while the kids are P seven so that then the timetable gets a list of who the pupils are that are going to be in the school of football programme and then they can timetable the kids accordingly. Um, so there's all these wee things you need to sort out, but you know, if you were to get in touch with your, your local office over the next after Christmas year for, for talking sake then you know August would be a, a reasonable target um, to put in, perhaps have it put in place by then. Mm-hmm. Aye so once you, once you get in touch with them then once you've took that first step then they'll kind of point you in the right direction for there. Aye, aye hopefully so, Perfect. hopefully so um, that would be the case and again it's difficult times as you know eh, with everything we're going and, and every penny's counting as well so sometimes mm-hmm. it's convincing you Head teacher, or yeah, whatever, whatever, <laughs> the finance, I, I, I've got enough on that plate, idea, but, you know. Aye. So, it's, it's one of those ones. Aye. Well, you've Maybe. got your C license, Lewis. You could potentially Aye. need to draw up a sales picture, take part of it, take part of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I thought that was a um, that's good to know, though. That's a, I think that was a sensible place to, to leave the, the podcast for tonight. But before we finish, we always have a wee kind of quick fire round of three questions, um, just for a wee bit of fun, we all our guests. So 
I'm going to put you on the spot. I, I, know, I know you don't like to put you on the spot, but uh, <laughs> here goes then. Right, if you could have a, a giant billboard anywhere, what would it say on it? Who's a giant billboard of, like? I don't know, just, just writing on it. What, what just would it anything. Say? Anything. Just anything. If it was outside Rugby Park, what would it say? Uh, your Liza Cup winners from 2012. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, which book or books have had the biggest influence on your life? Uh, I do. I really enjoy reading books, I've got to say. I, I don't know if you call them an influence as such, but I do enjoy uh, reading books. That, you know, I've read loads of books over the years, um, read quite a few kind of autobiographies that I always like. Um, probably from a sort of coaching and that type of thing. Like, so I've read the book, The Talent Code. I'm sure you've probably read it yourself. No, I've heard of it. No, I've read it. Read, no, um, Matthew Syed as well, I think it was, was it Bounce? No, I've oh, read that one. I think it was Bounce, the one where he was talking about the table tennis players. Mm-hmm. They were all world champions and all lived within two streets of each other. I think that was that one. I think um, loved that book. Um, I'm actually kind of quite into my podcast now. Um, Open go. Aye, God, aye, Slaney. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's, I'm going to go and watch that now. Actually, I had I had Paul and a. It was it four or five days doing a children's award? Um, oh, that must have been brilliant. Uh, he was brilliant. He was brilliant. Was that the, is that the one where he had the video? There's a video. Was it at Tory Glenn? It was at Tory Glenn, aye. Is that not mm-hmm. the one? Did you see the. He didn't have a video, did he? No, I don't know if there was something. There was a video of him at Tory Glenn. It was getting. It was doing the rounds <laughs> on his the open goal page, and that it was hilarious. Right. I think aye. it was it was Josie Mourinho. He was on like a private plane, and it was right. like Josie Mourinho on his iPad, and then it went to the next clip, and it was like. Saying that that's what he was watching, it was like Slaney taking a, a session. <laughs> I've got to say, he was, he was obviously really funny, um, but he was, he was great with the kids. He was absolutely brilliant with the kids, to be fair. Um, a mum or dad watching them, I'm thinking, but if I then they watched them, the, the, the open goal stuff, he'd be like, I'd love him to take my kid because I just know that the kids would love him. Aye, he's know. funny, isn't he? He's just I think he's wanting to get back into playing. Have we heard that last episode? No, is he? I don't know if it's. A, I don't know if it's if he's been serious or not. He's wanting to go back to Mother. <laughs> right. Aye. So well, I, I'm not really sure. But one I have actually been listening to is the Jake Humphries. Yeah, uh, that's good. Performance uh, podcast. Yeah. Um, so I've just started. Actually, started the day listening to the one. Um, oh, what's he called? The guy's name. He's a. He's a former Gurkha. Um, and he was in the SBS, the Special Boat Service. Mm-hmm. Um, he's from Nepal. Right. Basically, I don't know if you know this, but the world record previously for climbing the eight tallest mountains in the world, I think, was eight years, and he done them in seven months. Um, so I've just started listening to his podcast. And Is that the most I, recent one? I think it may. Well, I don't know. I'm not sure. That's good. He sounds fascinating. Um, so I, I listened to I listened to Gerard actually and Frank Lampard. Mm-hmm. They were good on with him and I thought I thought he was I thought it was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do I do enjoy books. To be fair, I like I like, just like reading, I like history and things like that as well. I like reading all the kind of history stuff and all these different kind of daft books. To be fair, a good variety then. Uh huh. Brilliant. Yeah. Right. Well, final one then. What advice would you give to a young player who is looking to excel in their sport? 
Uh, probably, again, it's all cliche, be the hardest working person that you can be. Mm-hmm. Um, because no matter what it is you want to be, there is no shortcut to that success. It's, it's only hard work that gets people to where they are. Um, believe in yourself. Believe in what you're trying to do. I think it's really important, and probably just embrace the failures. You know, just try your very best to, to learn from them and move on from them as quick as you can. So that's probably that's what a lot of them can get tripped up. Aye, aye, absolutely. Self belief is probably one of the hardest things to to have. And again, as a, a football coach, trying to give that to to players is really difficult. Really difficult because only they know themselves. Yeah, no, I think in the school of football though, it's actually, because they're so competitive, it's good to teach it in the school of football because they need to tolerate when they don't win and they're constantly getting beat and making mistakes every period. So yeah, you just got to kind of relay that information. They can't win every time. Winning is not always, you know, it's not always a scoreboard. Again, it's really, it's, again, another cliche, but it's true. Mm-hmm. You, know, mm-hmm. you know, winning for a, for a young person, you know, I ultimately everybody looks at the result kind of thing, but you know, does it really matter if you won the treble when you were under eights? You know, it no, certainly really. doesn't. It mm. doesn't. It's do you become the best? You know, if it's professional tennis or football, whatever it is, do you become that champion when you get to that level? When it is ultimately about results. Um, mm. So I, it's, you know, certainly. Um, winning's not always just a scoreboard for sure. Sometimes winning is winning is turning up and attending school. Yeah, some. celebrate the small wins. Aye, absolutely. The winning's yeah, getting right. to school in time. We yeah, tie. Right. <laughs> 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 no, brilliant. That's a chance, that's... A chance for Lewis getting in it in time in the morning. That's right. <laughs> I don't aye, know if I can if I can tie a tie. Uh, that was my biggest challenge no uh, I think that um, rounds us off nicely then for tonight's episode Gary again thanks a lot for coming on and giving your time up on a a Tuesday night so that was we really appreciate it and we enjoyed it you're welcome thanks thanks for coming on Gary it's been strange not having you in the school but it's good to catch up I hopefully get up at some point So each week of the podcast, we have our two key takeaway messages from both your hosts. This week, we had ex-professional football player on Gary Hay talking to us about all things School of Football. So, Clark, with you currently um, delivering the School of Football in your school at the moment, do you want to kick us off with your kind of key takeaway message or sum up the School of Football? What's it like? How's it going in your school? Yeah, it's going different this year um, it's still really positive we see the difference it can make to behaviour and, and engagement across the school um, some pupils that provide issues across the school to it can really motivate them to, to improve their behaviour um, just through informal chats with them and reminding them that they're in the school of football gives them that sense of belonging to the school um, getting to take pride in being there but as Gary spoke about it's, it's a really powerful tool to, to get them into school as well um, not just not just behaviour, it's attendance as well. And uh, he spoke about that uh, boy who had increased his, increased his attendance through through the school of football. So that's another thing um, for me is is uh, the, the benefit that it can have on that side of things. So I suppose I could speak about uh, a couple of things that's happened this year. 
is that we've got um, we've got four school of football classes, um, boys and girls, and you know obviously it's been different different activities that we can offer this year. So we've tried to adapt it and do football tennis rather than football, which has worked really well, working on their touch and its control and communication. So we've just tried to be adaptable and uh, it's working really well so far. But we're looking forward to getting back out of the tiers, hopefully. And, playing football and I think it really works for the kids that love football um, I've had issues in the past where they don't really like it that much and the behaviour's no good so then you can have some issues there um, and some, some people have been removed from it mm-hmm. um, because other teachers get annoyed where when they don't when they see them in a school of football and they're not behaving in their class so but all in all it's a deserve it. Aye, that's it so you've as, as, as a school of football lead you need to Make sure that you're trying to get the balance right between pupil engagement and teacher engagement. If you like, <laughs> like you're giving it, you're it's almost like you're using it there as a a method to to get them to learn to engage in something. So the last thing you want to do is take it away from them if that's something that they're actually engaging in in school. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's where their where their learning's coming from. And um, it seems a bit silly to take it away you know what I mean it can be a bit of a carrot to dangle for them and but that's not always going to work with, with everybody if you, if you take it away it's like if I had to take it away for you would your behaviour get worse I'd chase after you and get it back I think your behaviour would get worse because yeah, would. I know you inside out and <laughs> know what you're like so you need the football to keep you on the straight and narrow and Bellis Cannon <laughs> <laughs> now, I think it's um, I've definitely seen it within obviously this year like I, I spoke about earlier like with that third year class in particular how giving them football and doing it through a sport ed block like that actually because they all love football they're all football well the majority of the class are football players mm-hmm. and the kind of impact that had on on the learning because it actually got them to engage gave them obviously a voice within their within the lessons and it gave them the opportunity to, to lead on their own learning and I thought it was, it was worked an absolute treat. Um, that's like the power of people voice. We've got an episode of that coming up. Uh, soon, exactly. No, that's what I was saying. It worked an absolute treat until the, the pitches get waterlogged. But then luckily <laughs> we, were, we were allowed back indoor to do the other activities. But no, it's definitely something I'd like to, to do in the future. Um, so see if it was up to you, would you have a, like if you were, say, principal teacher of a PE department, would you have would you have a school of football school about would you have a school of kind of all the main sports so I they think can tap into what what they abs- enjoy? Absolutely, I I'll try. It. It'd be great depending on what the the cohort of pupils is like or the community that you live in. Is it a football area? Is it a rugby area? That's what you need. And if you've got the expertise there in the in the school, then I think it's an absolutely great tool to implement into the curriculum as a subject. That's it. That's it. You've got to make. You've got to kind of pander to the needs of the community as you say and what they, what they kind of I think that the, what Gary said about that boy who was really disengaged and then he, it put him on a path to coach volunteering, coaching and then now he's a PE teacher I mean that's all it takes, it could just take something like that and that's that is the school of football that's ultimately put him on that path to to get to where he is now so I think well, there's a lot that can, that be, can be said for that it's good that they had that pathway as well, though, that ran from senior school to mm-hmm. provide opportunity, opportunities to volunteer with the younger the younger uh, pupils. And that's it. Because they love football and they, they don't mind doing like the, the coaching side of it and all that, then if they come to the stage where they actually they are volunteering, like they're developing all these leadership skills that 
that doesn't even feel like they're doing it. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't feel like they're explicitly going out to deliver all these different, uh, to learn all these different skills when, because they're doing it through football and it's something that they, they're passionate about and they love doing. And it's, um, oh, no, I'm so I'm so passionate about football and at the start of this podcast, like speaking to Gary here about the football and stories, like yeah. I didn't feel as if I was doing a podcast. I was so engrossed in it and I think it's gave me a wee flavour for maybe getting more football guests on in the future. Yeah, get back into it. Jinx and Suki Nakamura would come on. Oof, I don't know. That would I think that would need to be a, a videoed one. We can do some free kicks. Oh, he's left a, a free kick masterclass. Who, who's going in goals? Uh, you. Right, you go the ball then. Both are going goals. You. <laughs> <laughs> See if you can bend it. Imagine both of us and they just put it in the middle. <laughs> Thanks again for everybody who listened into this episode of the podcast with ex-professional footballer Gary Hay, where he was on today to talk to us about all things School of Football. We hope this helps current teachers across the country who are maybe pondering on the idea of implementing a School of Football within their own school. Um, maybe this is giving you the, the inspiration that you, you needed to take that first step and pointed you in that direction. At the end of the day, the, teacher, the, the podcast is by teachers for teachers. Until next time, we hope you all have a fantastic week. Take care of yourselves.